Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Imagine not flinching to the thunder of incoming shells as you walk through war. We met Ukrainians with amazing survival stories in the face of the Russian assault. And we saw growing bread lines in a country that was one of the largest food exporters in the world. So we're taking food from the hungry children and giving it to the starving children. What's Eurovision? Well, it rivals any major European sporting event pitting nation against nation, with most of the continent tuning in on the final night. We went to Iceland and talked to the president. Kisses for me. Yes, the actual president, about why winning Eurovision this year would be a dream for this island dancing in the North Atlantic. And really, how much did anyone know about Sweden before ABBA won Eurovision in 1974? More than a million people have become followers of a conspiracy theory that birds aren't real. That's right, the birds you think you see flying in the sky are actually government surveillance drones. Sound insane? It's meant to. The birds aren't real movement is thankfully pure satire, intended to mirror some of the absurdity that's taken flight across the country. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? 
pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. In Europe, these are days of perilous escalation. Fighting has spilled beyond Ukraine into neighboring Russia and Moldova. Today, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said she and a U.S. delegation met with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky and pledged U.S. support until, quote, victory is won. Congress is considering $33 billion in aid while the U.S. rushes heavy artillery into the fight. Yesterday, more Russian missiles struck the vital port city of Odessa. Odessa is a major exporter of grain. And tonight, the head of the United Nations World Food Program tells us the seaport there must be reopened to prevent starvation. The World Food Program is feeding the hungry in Ukraine while fighting famine around the world. We traveled to Ukraine and the port of Odessa to witness the harvest of war. Faith draws hundreds to a church in Odessa, a city where every day the war's evacuees collect 10,000 loaves of hope. They come wearing the clothes of a previous life with nothing in their sacks, no job, no home, just a chance to endure another day of war without hunger. Around the corner, those who already had worries enough collect mercy in boxes that feed a family of four for two weeks. Pasta, oil, canned meat. It comes to 38 and a half pounds, so a mom can really use a hand. In Ukraine, the United Nations World Food Program is running hundreds of sites like this. How many people do you fear might be starving in this country? In Odessa, we spoke with David Beasley, the executive director of the UN's World Food Program. You gotta assume that millions are at stake right now. Uh, we're reaching about two million already. We hope to scale up to four million in the weeks ahead and six million beyond that. It's gonna be dependent upon two things, money and access. But access has been cut off to the war's victims in the heavily besieged cities of eastern Ukraine. We can't reach them. We're blocked. We can't get into the besieged cities like Maripol, uh, Mykolaiv, and Kherson, and I could go on and on. They have to be starving. Why would the Russians not allow food to be delivered to starving people? It's beyond imagination. 
Why would you deny innocent victims of war food? Non-combatants, it's just wrong. Evil. Evil that Andrei Kuldov has witnessed. Kuldov's family escaped this. Their hometown of Mariupol had 400,000 residents. Russian forces couldn't take it, so they are shelling Mariupol to ruin. We all lost loved ones, relatives, houses, jobs, he told us. I mean, everything that we would call a normal, everyday life, all of it is gone. You shot a video in Mariupol. Why did you shoot it and, and what is on it? I filmed the video to let people know what was really going on. Kuldoff recorded the evidence somehow numb to the shells thundering in the distance. It's a tour of misery, blocks of shattered apartment buildings and craters on the land. There are no more undamaged houses, stores, pharmacies, or schools left, he told us. His partner, Hannah, said, I had a nervous breakdown. Human beings are not prepared for things like this. Um. Rostislav is 15, a young man who clothes himself in hope over experience. Houses were hit by missiles, apartments, cars blown up. We had graves in our yards, a lot of graves. Vladimir Putin says that he is liberating the people of Ukraine. Oh, he's liberating us from housing, friends, relatives, comfort, work, home, liberating us from life. If killing is liberating, then they're liberating us. Odessa has had enough of liberation. This month, an oil terminal was destroyed. Then, on April 23rd, the day before Orthodox Easter, a missile blew a four-story hole through this apartment building on Korolova Street. Valeria Glodan and her three-month-old daughter, Kira, were killed, along with six others. 145 are homeless. Odessa's mayor, Gennady Truhanov, took us in so the world could see it up close. He told us, these are ordinary people in these apartments. They were preparing for Easter. Everyone cooking Easter cakes, cooking food, a family celebration. Who would give this kind of order? This could be done only by those who aren't human, he said. When I turn to God, I ask that he will enlighten Russian soldiers, Russian officers, so they will not lose their humanity. 
at least those who have not lost it already. Through the weave of rebar, we noticed Ludmilla. She and her kids weren't home that morning, but her husband was. My husband was sitting right there, right behind you. And at the moment of the explosion, he got out through the window, but he was badly burned. Andre was burned over 40% of his body. My husband will recover. All the money we had burned, I don't have anything left. But I have a lot of friends, and people help, so everything will be fine. Optimism, scavenged from inadequate materials, seems to prevail in Odessa. This settlement on the Black Sea began nearly 3,000 years ago. Today, one and a half million people defy the Russians by simply going about their day. Interrupted from time to time by sirens and a recorded voice, dear citizens, take cover. Odessa's port is closed, which has cut off one of the world's largest exporters of food. Ukraine, the size of Texas, is number four in corn and wheat, number one in sunflower oil. David Beasley told us half the wheat the World Food Program needs worldwide is stuck in Ukraine. Ukraine is the breadbasket of the world. They grow enough food to feed 400 million people. Well, that's gone. You're already seeing fuel pricing spike, food pricing spike, cost of shipping spiking. It's already creating havoc for the poorest of the poor around the world. But this is going to affect not just the poorest of the poor. It's going to affect everybody. Beasley is the former governor of South Carolina. He's led the UN's World Food Program for five years. His $10 billion agency fights hunger, triggered by poverty, crop failure, and war. Today, in 81 countries, WFP is feeding more than 145 million people. In 2016, we were with them in South Sudan as they dropped food to villages cut off by monsoon rains. So just when you think it can't get any worse, Ethiopia, Afghanistan, you say it just can't get any worse, then boom, Ukraine. Breadbasket of the world, now bread lines. The loss of that Ukrainian breadbasket may be felt around the world for years, according to Arif Hussein, the WFP's chief economist. This is the time for farmers to be out there planting corn. Right now. Right now. This is the time. And they're not. Why? Because farmers are soldiers. Why? Because there's not enough diesel. Look at wheat. Right now in the ground is what is the winter weeding. It needs pesticides, it needs fertilizer. Same issues. No labor, no fuel, no machinery. Our estimates are between 30 to 50% will actually be harvested. Would that have an impact on the world? Hell yes, it will have an impact on the world. We have to open up these pores. You've got to open them up and we've got to protect them so that food can move in and out of this country for the rest of the world. It's a humanitarian need. The world demands it. We have to have those, those ports open. We have to. You seem to be suggesting that 
NATO warships would have to come into the Black Sea to secure the shipping out of the port. I'm the humanitarian guy, but it isn't complicated. Uh, the world leaders are going to have to come together somehow and figure out a way to protect uh, these seaways. The ports have got to be opened up. So whatever the world leaders need to do, I'll leave that to them. But I know one thing, we're running out of time. Time and money. David Beasley told us his budget is short $10 billion worldwide because of the rising cost of fuel, food, shipping, all multiplied by COVID. Scott, before Ukraine, I was already cutting rations to millions of people around the world. We've already cut rations to over 8 million people, down to 50%. Imagine telling your child, I, I can only feed you half of what you need to have a healthy diet. How do you prioritize? So we're taking food from the hungry children and giving it to the starving children. <laughs> That's what we're doing right now. For all the millions he's reaching, even with half rations, Beasley is most worried about those who are likely starving in Russian-occupied Ukraine. He is personally negotiating with Russia for access. I have written, I have called. Uh, I know the United Nations is doing everything it can in general to give us the access because we are impartial, we're neutral, and all we're asking is give us the access to reach the innocent victims of this war. But it is in the Russians' interest to starve those people out. Well, sure would appear so, wouldn't it? Food is now a weapon in this war. A restaurant cooking for the disaster relief organization World Central Kitchen was hit in an airstrike, wounding four. And Notice the sandbags shielding the church basement. The emergency rations are down there, and no one has confidence that the church isn't a target. The Kuldoff family of Mariupol has no illusions about a ruthless enemy. I wonder if you think your family has a future in Ukraine. Andrei Kuldoff told us, I would like Ukraine to destroy Russia to the ground so this fascist state, for which there is no place in modern society, ceases to exist. I would like Ukraine and all of us who live in it to start building a new life, to build our new home. We noticed something in the sandbags guarding the food supply. The bags themselves, because they have no use for them now, the people of Odessa use sacks for food export, bags meant for oats and peas and spices are filled instead with sand, the barren harvest of war. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. With Europe convulsed by war, a campy intracontinental song contest might seem especially frivolous. But it's worth remembering, that was the original point. Eurovision launched in 1956, in part a post-World War II effort to unify Europe. A cross between the Olympics and American Idol, today it's the world's largest and wackiest musical event, consuming the continent for weeks each year and culminating in a live TV show. The semifinals and finals draw an audience of more than 180 million for a contest that might pit a Bulgarian crooner against a German disco act. Let the glitter and the omelets fall where they may. Eurovision 2022 concludes in Turin, Italy later this month. We went to Iceland, a country of 350,000 souls with an outsized passion for Eurovision to meet their contenders. For all the snow-capped mountains and rainbows in Reykjavik, the essence of Iceland revealed itself one Saturday in March inside this fertilizer factory converted into a concert hall. Wrapping their way out of a giant disco ball, the daughters of Reykjavik, the odds-on favorite to win Iceland's annual Songfakepnen, or song contest. It's a national preliminary, a sort of play-in tournament, to determine who will represent the country at Eurovision in Italy this year. Hey! Tell me the name of the contest. Songfakepnen. Sungvaketin. You got it. Backstage, the evening's hosts graciously approved of our pronunciation and explained Eurovision's appeal. We have darkness here like nine months a year. So this is kind of the antidepressant that takes us from darkness into the light. And all the nation, we don't agree on anything in Iceland in general, except for like we love swimming pools and we love Eurovision. Dancing by itself in the North Atlantic, Iceland uses Eurovision as a bridge to the continent. Land of volcanoes and blue lagoons, once the province of Vikings, and now proudly progressive. Runar Gislason is executive producer of the Icelandic contest and accompanies the winners to Eurovision. We are here, very few people in Iceland, on an island, isolated, and we just love to meet the world and connect and unite with people all over the world. This helps you feel more part of Europe? Definitely. Eurovision is a traveling circus with a big tent, one you truly have to see to believe. 40 countries send one act, and over the years they have run the gamut, to perform a three-minute song for a panel of judges and millions of televoters. No, you cannot vote for your own country. The winning country gets bragging rights and hosts Eurovision the following year. Italy won last year for the third time with the rock act Maniskin. But a Nordic country lays claim to Eurovision's most famous winner. Waterloo, I was defeated, you won the 
would be ABBA in 1974. The Swedes, with six wins, are the contest powerhouse. But no country rocks out to Eurovision harder than Iceland. It joined NATO in 1949, but locals joke the country really arrived on the international scene in 1986, when it was first admitted to Eurovision. The whole nation didn't think about anything else but the competition. We had watched it for several years and enjoyed it, but now we would end the competition. We really thought that we would win the competition. We were, we were absolutely sure about that. Iceland's president, Gudni Johannesson, recalls the letdown. He was 17 then. Now he is the rare world leader who clears his schedule and opens the doors of his residence to talk Eurovision. I remember that as if it had happened yesterday. It was like, what? <laughs> Zero points for Iceland. And we ended up in 16th place. It was a reality check for us Icelanders. Help us understand what this contest means to this country. Well, we're a small nation. It's me, my mother, and so on. <laughs> we still like to believe that we can compete with the big guys and the big girls. What makes for a good Icelandic entry into this continent-wide contest? I'm no expert, but the catchiness is the key factor. There has to be something that grabs you. Don't you know you make me feel bad? At the final round of Songfakepnen, Five acts belted out original compositions, one catchier than the next. We call it the Icelandic Song Contest and the Eurovision Song Contest, but everybody knows it's not only about the song. It's about the act. Let's go! It's about the lightning and the glimmer and the show of it. The feminist hip-hop collective certainly got that memo. Tell me the name of your band. Which means? Daughters of Reykjavik! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Let's answer everything like this. <laughs> How long have you guys all known each other? Nine years! <laughs> We've been a band for nine years. Then we decided this fall, like, okay, let's do it this year. And that means we have to go 190% in, you know. Unquestionably, the most chill of Iceland's hopefuls, sisters Siga, Beta, and Elin, their kid brother on drums, performing a country song. Song for Kepnin unplugged, as it were. Music runs in their blood. Their mother competed here. But she came second. I was very disappointed. <laughs> like, why? Disappointment is a repeating beat in Iceland's relationship with Eurovision. We've never won the thing, as you know. Twice been close, twice in second place. An historian by trade, President Johannesson is a trove of Eurovision trivia. I can easily recall winning entries, Sandra Kim in 86, Brotherhood of Man, Save Your Kisses for Me in 76, if I remember correctly. You know, it would be an act of journalistic malpractice if I didn't ask you to sing. <laughs> I sing in the bathtub, I sing in the shower. Do I sing live in 60 minutes? He sure does. Save your kisses for me, save all your kisses for me. 
And so on and so forth. That's all the singing you're going to get from me. That song won for the UK. And while there's no big check or recording contract at stake, the winner gets an undeniable career boost. Celine Dion of Quebec went global after a win for Switzerland in the 80s. The rules allow for ringers, explained Dave Goodman of Eurovision, though most acts sing for their native countries. Julio Iglesias did Eurovision in the early 1970s. He sang for Spain. True, but Iglesias didn't always care to admit it. I gather Julio Iglesias wasn't always so forthcoming about his, his Eurovision past. In the 1980s, he's on record as, as denying he took part, actually. But there was a period when it wasn't seen as fashionable to say that you'd done this competition because it's changed a lot over the years. Tell me if I'm wrong. It seems that in some corners, people might look down, look, look down their nose at Eurovision. Yeah, there has been, certainly over the years, the idea that it's sort of low culture, the Eurovision Song Contest, because it's popular, because it's entertainment. We've had hamster wheels on stage, we've had pianos on fire. The great thing about Eurovision is that you can come with anything you like. Iceland pushed the Eurovision envelope three years ago with Hattori, self-described anti-capitalist performance artists. As Icelanders do, the whole country adopted the look and learned the lyrics. We're all gonna die. It's the end. <laughs> this, uh, this, this doom music. Yeah. After performing in the finals, held in Israel that year, Hattori snuck a Palestinian banner under their clothes and raised it on camera. I gather Iceland was, was fined for that. Yeah. There was 500,000 Iceland kronas. That's not... Not very much. Uh, and they should have paid it, the guys, but we did. You paid their fine for <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. We didn't charge them for it. So we're very, very protective of the fact that this isn't a political program and not a political competition. And yet, the Union of European Broadcasters that puts on the competition has banned Russia this year. Ukraine, meanwhile, selected its act just days before the invasion. What can you tell us about the Ukrainian act this year? They're called the Kalush Orchestra. And their song's called uh, Stefania. I think it's a tribute to their mother. We believe that they have dispensation to travel, to come to Turin. Leave Ukraine. To leave Ukraine. We very much hope that we will see them in Turin. Back in Reykjavik, a group of hardcore fans had Ukraine on their minds as they arrived by chartered party boat for the Icelandic final. And backstage, it was easy to forget that ultimately, this is a competition. Tension emerged later in the evening as Runar tabulated the results, a mix of the judges' tallies and fans voting by phone. Iceland's field was winnowed to two acts, the daughters and the sisters. Then... Upset at song for Kepnen. Few in the venue were more shocked than the sisters themselves. I feel like I'm talking to athletes after a big game. <laughs> yes, we feel like, we feel like, yes, like it's the first time you've ever competed in anything. Yeah. And we're, we suck in sports. And, you know, it's not a typical Eurovision song. This is like an out-of-body experience right now, you know. Oh, my God! After hugging their parents and, of course, the head of state, 
Siga, Beta, and Elin set off across Europe on a tour of pre-parties, making new fans on the road to Turin just as they tried to make Eurovision history for their country. Why hasn't Iceland won this damn thing? It's about keep trying. A song like Iceland's can do well because it connects. And I think that's what the, the secret of Eurovision is, creating a connection. The sisters will perform the song Mea Hakandi Sol in Icelandic. Tell me what the lyrics mean. The chorus. Yeah. Yeah. With the darkness of winter, the sun rises. Oh, it just melts, melts the hearts. With all due respect, sounds better in your native tongue. I, I told you, I told you. And so, for all the flaming pianos, Iceland will try and snap its Eurovision losing streak with a harmony about the sun rising after prolonged darkness. We're just escaping from this pandemic. There's a war going on in Europe. Who would have believed that? So Eurovision is fun. It doesn't matter one thing in the larger scheme of things. But if you're always going to think like that, if you're never going to have fun, then we're doomed. More important now than ever, maybe. Exactly. Make songs, not war. Some things never get lost in translation. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. There have always been conspiracy theories. The moon landings were fake. Elvis is alive. Paul is dead. But as disinformation has sprouted across the Internet, more malicious conspiracy theories have entered our homes, workplaces, and even the halls of Congress. So you might not be surprised to learn that more than a million people have become followers of a conspiracy theory that birds aren't real. That's right. The birds you think you see flying in the sky are actually government surveillance drones. Sound insane? It's meant to. The birds aren't real movement is thankfully pure satire intended to mirror some of the absurdity that's taken flight across the country. Are you ready to march? Are you ready to march? That is Peter McAdoo, the founder of Birds Aren't Real, falling over himself to lead a flock of his followers into a frenzy on the streets of Hollywood. Birds aren't real! Fortunately, this rally, like most things in Hollywood, is fake. 200 self-described bird truthers, all in on the act, 
playfully protested the very serious-sounding bird drone surveillance crisis. If it flies, it spies. If it flies, it spies, they chanted. Then called out the mainstream media's supposed avian agenda. Accusing CNN of being pro-bird. A few days later, we went along as Peter McIndoe, still in character, somberly explained to us why birds aren't real. So what do bird truthers believe? Every single bird in the sky is a robot. The United States government um, basically massacred 12 billion birds, beautiful living birds, uh, using crop-dusting airplanes flying over, over the states um, over the course of 40 years. And as the real birds died, the ro robotic drones rose. Now we live in a world where there's 12 billion robotic birds watching us every single day. Bird-watching drones? Bird-watching drones? McIndoe kept up the act. I never hear anyone uh, asking, hey, why don't our presidents talk? They, they uh, tweet on the bird app with their left wing or right wing politics, you know? Um, I think a lot starts to unfold and the matrix starts to shatter uh, the more questions that you ask. What bird is most suspicious to you? Really every bird. How do you feel about seagulls? Uh, I don't trust them. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Have you ever been to the beach and you got some food left over and a seagull comes over and tries to get it? That's not because it's hungry. You know, the mainstream media wants to sell us this lie that, oh, birds are hungry. Uh, you know, when in fact, the seagulls are taking your food to bring it back to the Pentagon for DNA uh, harvesting and testing. How do you feel about 60 Minutes? I'm surprised you've decided to sit here with us. I'm not going to go on news shows, but shows about, you know, clocks and time, I'm okay with sharing um, my information with. And I, I understand this isn't anything like the media, so... Thanks for, thanks for having me on your, on, your, on your clock show. With that, he finally broke character, and we met the real Peter McIndoe. You're the person that I've been hearing about but haven't seen. Okay, great. Well, it's wonderful to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. Welcome to Bird History. McIndoe, the 24-year-old college dropout behind Birds Aren't Real, is fortunately nothing like the megaphone-carrying character under the cowboy hat. Who will save us? He told us it's all a parody and it spread to billboards, bumper stickers, and popped up at halftime during the NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship game last month. What's the purpose of all of this? So it's taking this concept of misinformation and almost building a little safe space to come together within it and laugh at it rather than be scared by it and accept the lunacy of it all and be a bird truther for a moment in time when everything's so crazy. The vision was creating something that reflected the absurdity through the eyes of the most confused archetype. People, when they make fun of me, don't realize people also made fun of the Founding Fathers, you know, before they stormed the, the British gates and took over. The humor is meant to be apolitical. McIndoe's co-conspirators, Claire Cronus, Cameron Caskey, and Connor Gatos, say it's become an outlet for a generation that's been surrounded by conspiracy theories. It's an opportunity for, I think, our generation to laugh, to make fun, to kind of be like, look, here's like a laundry list of things that haven't come true. You've been lying to us, so we're going to lie to you back, and we're going to do it in a way that really is funny. Is there any danger of adding to the noise? Always. We want to make sure we're not using language that actually harmful and hateful conspiracy theories use to target people. Cameron Caskey would know. 
Well, I've been targeted, doxxed, and harassed by QAnon before. We're the mass shooting generation. We first met Kasky in 2018 after he survived the horrific shooting at his Parkland, Florida high school where 14 classmates and three teachers were murdered. Welcome to the revolution. Kasky helped create March for Our Lives, an organization that calls for stronger gun laws. My friends and I were called crisis actors, and, you know, I kind of had this strange perspective on conspiracy theories because the Internet was telling me that my father and grandfather were child traffickers uh, because they're adoption lawyers. Isn't there part of this that's just saying simply, look at all these conspiracy theories, they're ridiculous, and we're going to be ridiculous so you understand that this is ridiculous? That's the idea. Fighting lunacy with lunacy. Fighting lunacy with lunacy, yeah. McAdoo's been rebelling since his days growing up in a small town in Arkansas. I grew up in a really fundamentalist community that was, like, hyper-conservative. Were conspiracy theories a part of the community? Oh, I mean, embedded in the community. Really? Yeah, yeah. Were you in trouble a lot? Yeah, I mean, it was just because I had spent most of my time in those communities arguing with people. There was homecoming. And I got voted most likely to go to jail. (laughs) Not even kidding. Most likely to go to jail, Peter McIndoo. McIndoo stayed out of jail and enrolled at the University of Arkansas with no intent to hatch birds aren't real. The idea was an accident. The day after President Trump's inauguration in 2017, McIndoo was hanging out with friends in Memphis on the roof of a building when they heard demonstrators in the streets below. I remember thinking it would be very interesting if someone was in this situation with a sign that had nothing to do with anything that's going on here. And so how did you get to birds aren't real is the thing that's on the sign? I don't even know. It was just the most absurd thing I could think of. I'm angry and I'm here to protest. Sign in hand, he took to the streets of Memphis, ad-libbing a stream of absurdities. Wake up, America! Birds are not real. They're a myth. They're an illusion. Thank you for your time. His friends, Lauren Kerstell, Allie Perkins, and Jenny Bailey, couldn't believe what was coming out of Peter's mouth. They're not real. They're fake. (laughs) Peter just goes all out. And he just starts, like, screaming, like, random stuff, like, off the top of his head, like, just whatever he thought of in the moment. Uh And it's not scripted. He's just 100% improvising this moment. Yeah, he's like, birds aren't real. They're a lie. And just, like, whatever would come up to his head, he'd, like, say it. It was just incredible how he created this whole character and personality off the bat. Like, his so improv quickly. was... Yeah, it was impressive. We're like, okay, where yes. did this come from? There is a pandemic happening! Peter's friend, Allie, innocently posted a video of that day online, and then everything changed. Birds are not real! So I'm getting pictures sent to me of birds aren't real graffiti, and birds aren't real chalkboards, and seeing, you know, you know, chants in cafeterias and, you know, stadiums. Like, birds aren't real at high schools. Did you think at that point, like, this is awesome, or what have I done? I remember being fascinated by it. I remember thinking, okay, why do people identify with this so much? And just thinking, like, there was this energy in Memphis for this idea, and that I would always regret it if I didn't lean into that. What did your parents think when you said, I'm dropping out of college, (laughs) I'm moving to Memphis to start a fake, conspiracy theory. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. I was trying to describe to them, it could be a very interesting art project, sort of like a mirror 
to you know just the you know seemingly exponentially growing absurdity of the world in America and like if we can match that with a character in a living world, blah, blah, blah. And they're just looking at me like, please stick with a psychology degree, you know? (laughs) (laughs) McIndoo enlisted his friend, Connor Gatos, a history buff, to write a backstory for the birds' movement. The CIA was so sick and tired of the birds pooping on their windshields, so they're like, we're sick of this. We're fed up with this. Let's hire, you know, engineers to, to get rid of these stupid birds. And while we're at it, let's replace them with robots and spy on people. So it's, it's, a, it's a joke. Please remember, stay calm. But then they took the story a step further. Every conspiracy needs a deep state whistleblower. Well, I saw some things that I, I really wish I hadn't seen. Are you referring to bird drone surveillance? Yeah. McIndoo invented and interviewed a character called Eugene Price. Price is supposed to be a former CIA officer who buried evidence of the bird genocide and the rise of the drones. When you were hiring an actor to play Eugene Price, what were you looking for in that actor? The oldest man I could find. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking for someone who looked like they had just had some guilt weighing down on them for years. Like, I really wanted bags under the eyes, sleepless nights. We released a video titled The Confession of Eugene Price, where he, for the first time ever on record, an ex-CIA agent came out and said, everything that the government had done. Did you keep anything? No. That video got over 10 million views on TikTok. Are there people who believe that birds aren't real? I've ironically met people who go, oh, I know. And they'll act like they've already known. That Um, birds aren't real? Yeah, they'll be like, oh, I know. I know what's going on. The CIA, you know, they've been doing that. But the gag is apparent for all to see in McIndoo's beat-up van that he bought for $2,000. This is our chariot. Wow. This is our loyal duchess. <laughs> Takes us wherever we need to go. Super understated, right? Yeah, it's a little low-key. Yeah. You know. Black and white and crazy all over, it's a mobile manifesto calling pigeons liars and claiming birds charge on power lines. The government has sold the public on this lie of power lines or, oh, you're talking to people through these wires, telephone wires, you know, when really, you know, they put up poles and wires for drones to sit on and charge. We followed Peter McIndoo in his van as he tried to spread the feathered gospel on the streets of Orange County, California. I'm part of a movement that believes every bird is a government surveillance drone. One person thought he should seek help. Maybe you should see somebody. Another wanted to pray for him. Lord, thank you so much for Pete. I thank you for his heart. Just know you're being watched. For what reason, though? For what reason? Yeah, why are they watching you? They want mass control. So you're woke. Remarkably, most of the under 40 crowd was in on the joke. Bro, I'm tired of those birds sitting on the pipeline straining over our power, am I right? How do you make a living doing this? Barely. I, <laughs> we, we have shirts on our website. Do you think you'll have to rely on t-shirt sales forever? No. Everyone's reached out to us about books and movies, which has been interesting. Because the idea has never been packaged into something like that. McAdoo says more than a million people now call themselves bird truthers. They flock to rallies around the country. In front of Twitter's headquarters, they demanded the company drop its bird logo. And in St. Louis, McAdoo brazenly burned a Cardinals flag in the shadow of the arch. In an age of outrage, Peter McIndoe is hoping to drown out the chorus of crazy in this country 
with a little crazy of his own. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com.